Welcome to Cineversary, a podcast that celebrates a milestone anniversary of a masterful work of cinema. Each month we send happy birthday wishes to a different film currently observing a joyous jubilee. That's everything from a 20th all the way to a 100th anniversary. I'm your host, Eric Martin, creator and moderator of the Cineverse Film Discussion Group that meets weekly in the Chicagoland area. It's actually been a while since we've commemorated a movie made after World War II, or a comedy for that matter, so this month we'll be saluting a sensational work of satire, Airplane, with an exclamation point at the end, which turns 40 years old in 2020. And fittingly, I've arranged not one, but two guests known for looking at cinema masterworks through a humorous lens. Michael DiGiovanni and Andrew Bloom, two buddies from Canada better known as the hosts of the long-running Classic Film Jerks podcast, who claim this is one of their all-time favorite flicks. Michael, Andrew, and I will climb aboard this aircraft of amusement, strap in, and examine why this film is worth celebrating all these years later, its cultural impact and legacy, what we can learn from the picture today, how it stood the test of time, and more. Before takeoff, however, let's travel to the cockpit and learn more about how this film became flight-worthy. According to Wikipedia, Airplane is a 1980 American satirical disaster film written and directed by David and Jerry Zucker and Jim Abrahams and produced by John Davison. It stars Robert Hayes and Julie Haggerty and features Leslie Nielsen, Robert Stack, Lloyd Bridges, Peter Graves, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Lorna Patterson, among others. The film is a parody of the disaster film genre, particularly the 1957 Paramount film Zero Hour, also with an exclamation point, from which it borrows the plot and the central characters, as well as many elements from Airport 1975 and other films in the Airport film series. The movie's no for its use of surreal humor and its fast-paced slapstick comedy, including visual and verbal puns, gags, and obscure humor. Airplane was originally released by Paramount Pictures on July 2, 1980, and was a critical and financial success, grossing $158 million worldwide against a budget of $3.5 million. The film's creators received the Writers Guild of America Award for Best Adapted Comedy and nominations for the Golden Globe Award for Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy, and for the BAFTA Award for Best Screenplay. In the years since its release, Airplane's reputation has grown substantially. The film placed 10th on the AFI's 100 Years 100 Laughs list of the top 100 funniest movies in American cinema and ranked 6th on Bravo's 100 Funniest Movies list. In a 2007 survey by Channel 4 in the United Kingdom, it was judged the second greatest comedy film of all time after Monty Python's Life of Brian. In 2008, it was selected by Empire Magazine as one of the 500 greatest movies of all time, and in 2012 was voted number one in the 50 Funniest Comedies Ever poll by Empire Magazine. In 2010, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Currently, Airplane's Rotten Tomatoes score is a stratospheric 97%, with an average critical score of 8.42 out of 10. 
Let's give a quick listen to the movie's theatrical trailer. Stand by for the most extraordinary chain of events ever swept up into high adventure. Hey, Larry, where's the forklift? Forklift! It's over there with the baggage water. Airplane. Airplane is drama. Uh, this is Dr. Brody at the Mayo Clinic. There's a passenger on your Chicago flight 209 or a little girl named Lisa Davis en route to Minneapolis. She's scheduled for a heart transplant. I want you to make sure that she's kept in a reclined position and that a continuous watch is kept on her IV. Airplane is action. Airplane is romance. I love you, Elaine. I love you. Airplane is music. There is only one river. There is only one sea. Airplane is dancing. Never has the screen been so big. You ever been in a cockpit before? No, sir. I've never been up in a plane before. Peter Graves. You ever seen a grown man naked? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. My name is Roger Murdoch. I'm an airline pilot. Leslie Nielsen. This woman has to be gotten to a hospital. A hospital? What is it? It's a big building with patients, but that's not important right now. Lloyd Bridges. Johnny, what can you make out of this? This? Well, I can make a or a brooch, or pterodactyl, could you get on Robert Stack. All right, Steve, let's face a few facts. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your flight. Julie Haggerty. By the way, is there anyone on board who knows how to fly a plane? Can you fly this plane and land it? Robert Hayes. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. I gotta get out of here. The most incredible adventure the screen has ever created. He's coming right at us! The big news is... Airplane. Alrighty then, Cineversary veterans know what I'm about to say next. Not that it matters much in a movie like Airplane, but fair warning, spoilers are ahead. So if you've not watched this movie, never mind. It's now my pleasure to introduce the classic film jerks, Michael Giovanni and Andrew Bloom. Welcome to Cineversary, Michael and Andrew, two experts in jive. I just want to tell you, good luck, we're all counting on you. <laughs> uh, Eric, thanks for having me. And also me, because... <laughs> 
I'm riding on Michael's back during this whole podcast. <laughs> I don't know about that, but the pleasure's all mine. Thank you again for saying yes, gentlemen. So let's get this thing rolling here on Airplane. 40 years, hard to believe. When and where did you first see this film, and why is it important to you? Michael, you want to go first? Yeah, uh, you know, I was thinking about this the first time I saw it, and I'm, I can say quite confidently it was not in the theater. <laughs> I, I I know that. I don't think at the age of six, my parents would have let me go to see uh, this in the theater. I want to say I, I saw it on VHS video or it might have been on television, an edited version of it on television first. Uh, you didn't and, get to see the jiggling breasts, huh? I know. But gosh, we rented that VHS tape enough to watch <laughs> that scene I over wore that and over section again. out. <laughs> Of the video for a PG movie, it's uh, kind of a surprise. It's funny how that's the that's changed now, right? Because you can see things that are PG thirteen nowadays, right. and you go, "Why was that PG 13 Like there yep. was hard, but they were pretty loose with it here. It's a it's, yes. It's I don't want to call it a dirty movie, but it can be crass in places. Sure, Andrew, how about you? Do you recall first seeing this movie? You know, it's odd to think that this is forty years old, and uh, just like DJ, well, there's a good chance that most of most of my viewings of this film were with uh, Michael, <laughs> at least a uh, hundred and two of the hundred and eighty six <laughs> times that I've seen it. <laughs> I, I imagine some drinking games were involved too, right? Yes, maybe. Yeah, or at least just pre drinking, getting ready for it. It was probably around, I would say, like 86. Yeah, yeah maybe 80, maybe closer to 89. And it would have been wow. VHS. I'm trying to remember about what age, but I wouldn't have been too young. My parents were pretty mm. strict with the TVs back then. Yeah. So I, I, and I'm trying to remember if I just watched it maybe from behind the couch where my dad was watching it, looking uh-huh. over his shoulder. He definitely made, covered my eyes when the boobs came up, though. <laughs> okay. Yeah, from my recollection, it's hard to recall, but I I think I first saw the movie in the early 80s. It was probably on HBO, like at my grandma's house, the the one relative who had cable early on or something. And a lot of the jokes were lost on me at the time. I mean, I'm not much older than you gentlemen, but being that I was still a kid, I mean, a lot of this went over my head and I hadn't seen enough movies to pick up on many of the pop culture references. Mm -hmm. But I think I really appreciated it for the first time probably about 20 years ago, watching it afresh on, it must have been DVD. But it took several rewatchings, I have to be honest, before it earned a place in my all-time comedy pantheon. It was a a slow kind of climb for me. But today, it's firmly entrenched there. So, um, And by virtue of, I thought of this movie immediately as worthy of anniversary celebrations this year. You you know, you don't see this on like lists of top 100 movies of all time. Now, top Mm -hmm. comedies, maybe. But it's not considered like this quality, you know, classic uh, among all time movies per se. But I'll tell you what, among people who appreciate comedies, it's right up there. You ask people like, what are your some of your favorite comedy films? And more often than not, I think Airplane's going to come up in the conversation. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. I think 100 percent. Like uh, for me personally, it's vying for one or two of my favorite comedies of all time. And it's easily in my top 10 if not top five favorite films just period wow I, okay yeah i always there's a couple things here one i always felt this was kind of like a cult classic for some reason it kind of felt like this movie was private 
to me and DJ, like we got the humor. And like you're saying, we you didn't get it right away. It took a long time. It was a slow burn. And as mm-hmm. you aged and learned new things, you understood more of the jokes. But I would argue that this movie shaped much of our sense of humor. Amongst my family, amongst my circle of friends, there's a few like pieces of uh, pop culture that you're, as Andrew noted, kind of shape your sense of humor. Mm. Uh, the Simpsons falls in for a lot of people who are children of the eighties. Sure. Mel Brooks, maybe young Frankenstein speaking <laughs> specifically for my family, yeah. but airplanes, definitely one of them. I mean, it mm-hmm. is instantly quotable. And if someone doesn't recognize a joke from airplane, I start questioning them a little bit. So, gentlemen, why is this movie worth celebrating 40 years later beyond what we've already talked about? We, we're, we're yet to scratch the surface here on digging mm-hmm. into this movie deeper. But, yeah, why does it still matter and how has it stood the test of time? I feel like this movie was the genesis of this type of movie. Like, it, I feel like it didn't really happen before and then after it seemed to happen until we were just sick of it. And at the center of this, of that genre, is Airplane. Like, this was the birthplace of stupid humor. Yeah, and genre-spoofing comedies. You know, movies that spoofed particular genres. I agree. I think it was so unlike any film that came before it. And as both of you kind of uh, mentioned, it became the blueprint of using air quotes that sort of spoof-type film but it's I think what's hurt the spoof genre now as it's become its own genre uh, as it kind of continued over the last 40 plus years is that it became a little too refer spoofs became a little too referential of mm-hmm. current pop culture that yeah. they didn't age well where I find aeroplane is quite timeless though it right. is referencing films uh, that are, have come out a long time ago, it's mm-hmm. still, to a modern audience, I would challenge that it is as funny today as it was four years ago. Yeah, like this feels like it it references or spoofs timeless genres rather than a movie that came out the year before. This is stuff that you can feel that it's, you know, making fun of film noir, making fun of all sorts of different things where you know, scary movie or something else was just spoofing something that came out a few months before it. And it's funny, Andrew, on that train of thought about like these spoof films, that kind of epic movie, scary movie, all of those, they got into sort of like stunt, hey, stunt casting, like, hey, let's put a celebrity in it. That'll be something. And they, they, they fall into, which they don't understand the art of what Airplane really demonstrated was they would just go, hey, remember this movie or remember this scene and think that's funny. Where Aeroplane took those scenes and used them as a launching pad to be like completely ridiculous. Like I think that there, there was actual jokes being told as opposed to just going, oh, look, we're recreating the the psycho shower scene. Isn't that mm-hmm. funny? Sure. Yeah. No, these are all great points. I want to get into this more in terms of the bouillabaisse of comedy variety that they throw up against the wall and most of it sticks. I mean, the the ratio of laughs per minute in this movie is arguably higher than any other film ever. So we'll have fun with that in just a bit. But just in answer to this question, and I also have to preface my answer here by saying that I want to correct myself. I'm not 
trying to suggest to the audience that these this was the first genre spoofing film because of course mm-hmm. you got to credit Mel Brooks. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. In in the same year, 1974, you have Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein, which uh, you know respectively are riffing on the the western movie and the horror film, and there's probably predecessors to that as well. But as far as the film that kind of sets the template that you've already traced, you've already kind of traced that lineage all the way to the latest kind of uh, iterations like date movie, epic movie, uh, scary movie 17 or whatever. I mean, this is really the one that's that kind of uh, broke the mold and uh, set the template. As I noted, I I love Mel Brooks, and I'm I've you know feel I feel terrible that we didn't mention him there in that sort of like the spoof genre. I think the one thing is, and I don't want this to sound like I'm being negative about Mel Brooks, but his mm-hmm. films are a little shecky. They're a little winky, and everyone is playing hard for laughs. I think what made Airplane so unique was mm-hmm. that it was so straight. There was mm-hmm. no recognized comedians in the film, uh, which I, that's what I mean from even though uh, there had been other maybe arguably spoof films, this one kind of created this template of going, they're not really trying to be funny on the no, surface. This, this is a great mm-hmm. point. And actually, it's a good segue into my, my first kind of answer to this question. I think Airplane Still Matters because as part of what you were saying, at its heart, the movie plays it straight and it stays consistent to its story. Mm -hmm. As cliche as that plot is, which is about the redemption of a battle fatigue pilot and is essentially a boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl backstory. But truth be told, we don't really care much about that narrative or its romance element. And we can't take the suspense of the flight and peril seriously, of course. Mm. But I think that airplane needs at least a slim skeleton of seriousness and conventional storytelling around which you pack on the comedy meat to make a complete body, if you will. And many say that the secret to the film's success, as you were alluding to there, is that the actors play it straight-faced and serious, including, you know, the casting is, is really kind of ingenious because you got these older actors. You got Lloyd Bridges, Robert Stack, Leslie Nielsen, and Peter Graves, who were all known for playing ultra-serious leading men in dramas and melodramas from decades before. So I want to read you, if you if you bear with me here, some different quotes from different experts about this movie that can help us appreciate what's going on here. There's this film scholar. His name is Glenn Erickson. He's also known on the internet as DVD Savant. And he wrote, Quote, the beauty of Airplane is that it's not throwaway humor with actors doing whatever they want. Bridges and Stack, the princes of countless dramas requiring deadpan intensity and terse line readings, keep straight faces despite the provocations of Control Tower Queen Stephen Stucker's Johnny Hinshaw. Peter Graves gives every absurd dialogue line his patented 100% sincerity sales push, even when he's hitting on a nine-year-old boy. And then you've heard of comedian Pat Oswald, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so he quoted that seeing the movie for the first time taught me a great lesson. He said, you've got to play comedy as if it's deadly serious. You've got to play weirdness as if it's the most normal thing in the world, unquote. So in other words, guys, Airplane is funnier because the actors are trying to appear convincing without being comedic. 
And then lastly, this guy named Nathan Rabin of The Dissolve, he said, quote, I was impressed by the economy of storytelling involved in spoofing a series like the airport franchise, which seemed to employ the totality of not only Hollywood, but international film over the course of its run. Airplane introduces a dizzying array of characters, each with subplots that need to be resolved over the course of a lean 87 minutes. Mm-hmm. Airplane accomplishes an awful lot storytelling-wise in less than 90 minutes while delivering at least a laugh a minute, unquote. And then as we already talked about, right, the movie continually lampoons movie cliches, outdated film situations, overdramatic dialogue, Hollywoodized characters and behaviors, and let's just have fun for just a second here in talking about the movies that inspired it. So I don't know to what level you were aware of this. I assume if you've seen the movie as many times as you said, you probably knew this. But there was a film called Zero Hour with an exclamation point after it yep. from 1957. And this movie directly spoofs it, like the, the story and even the name of the character. So you've got a guy named Ted Stryker in both films. And here's the, the IMDb synopsis. Ted Stryker, played by Dana Andrews, has drifted through life unsuccessfully since he led a dreadful air attack in World War II. When his wife, Ellen, played by Linda Darnell, and his son leave him, Ted hurries onto their plane where he tries to convince Ellen that he has changed. Meanwhile, many of the people on the flight, including the pilot, fall ill with food poisoning. It's left up to Ted with help from Captain Trelevin, played by Sterling Hayden in air control, to safely land the plane. So that's not the only riff. There was a movie called The Crowded Sky from 1960, also starring Dana Andrews. Here's the Wikipedia plot summary real real quick. It says, the film's storyline follows the backstories of the crew and passengers of a U.S. Navy jet and a commercial airliner carrying a full load of passengers during a bout of severe weather. Other issues such as a malfunctioning radio make it nearly impossible to communicate with air traffic control and set the two aircraft on a collision course. And of course, guys... What is it primarily riffing on? The Airport series. Yeah. The first one was 1970. Then the sequel was Airport 1975. Then you got Airport 77. You've got a ridiculous sequel called The Concord dot, 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 Airport 79. And don't forget about, remember the 70s, they were loaded with the- um, Oh, the uh, disaster the movies, the yeah. The disaster movies, the, the Poseidon Adventure, the Towering Inferno, Earthquake. The times were filled with these kind of movies. Well, I think, to, uh, as you stated earlier, I think that is really what makes this work, is that there is a structure to the film. There is a plot. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it is riddled with cliches, but that helps kind of guide the the joke tracks. Mm-hmm. So I, it's not just a, uh, let's get a goofy bunch of characters on an airplane that might crash and let's throw some jokes in there, which in lesser hands, that's probably what this would be. I think the master stroke was, I mean, gosh, for that, uh, that zero hour, they literally use that film as a template mm-hmm. and go, okay, so where now can we make observations and poke fun and parody the conventions that are used in this film and a couple others. I think that was really, Mel Brooks wasn't doing that so much. He did it a lot in Young Frankenstein. And then he just started going, let's make a comedy Western, right? Even though I like Blazing Saddles, it's not necessarily got the the plot structure 
of an airplane. Yeah, and then they probably also thought, like, no one's seen Zero Hour except me, so, you know, <laughs> no one will catch on to this until later. And that'll be if we're really popular. Right. The, the point that you made before, which is, I think, part of the reason why this movie works so well, is that it feels like the audience is the only one that knows that it's silly. You know, the, all the characters, like we've said before, play it like this is just regular life. This is how I talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and why is everyone else saying things I don't understand? So it's funny to just the audience. Yeah, no question. Just to finish this thought and then move on to the next question here. But the movie, it, it's not afraid to be politically incorrect at a time where that wasn't such a big word. But when you think about the irreverence, the crudity, the uh, the offensive, uh, you know, kind of subject matter and characterizations in a PG movie. I think it's a bit racy for its time. You got profanity, as we talked about. You got brief nudity. You have racial stereotyping. You even have jokes about pedophilia, which yeah. you know, I mean, that doesn't maybe hold up so well today. But it's a comedy. Come on, you know, loosen up. It draws from a deep well of comedic predecessors as well. I just want to touch on this for a second because I was very curious. So the team at work here, it's Jim Abrahams, David Zucker, and his brother, Jerry Zucker. Now, collectively, they're known as Zaz, based on their last names, right? So going forward, if you want to just call them Zaz, it's fine. I'm going to. But they said they were following in the footsteps of several predecessors. So any guesses as to who some of the inspirations might have been? Well, my guess is they were big fans of Mad Magazine. My research didn't show that, but I can't argue against that. That makes total sense to me. Because it's the Mad Magazine style, isn't it? It is one hunt. Yeah, it's totally the. And I think that was when the allure, uh, when one of the first times I watched it was mm. maybe I maybe I wasn't catching everything, and some stuff was going over my head. But I was so amazed at the staging of everything that there were jokes happening in the background. The mm. the people speaking over speakers were 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 doing a joke and. The po- the pictures in the background were riddled with things like that reminded me. I as a kid, I loved Mad Magazine. I, sure. I I I'm sure I've read that the Zaz Zucker brothers and Jim Abrams that they were big fans and drew inspiration from Mad for sure. Here's what I can tell you definitively: they came out in an interview and were asked this question, and they said that they were inspired by the anarchic, irreverent, madcap humor and punny comedy of the Marx Brothers yeah. and Laurel and Hardy films. I totally see the Marx Brothers and a lot of the different characters in the wordplay and things like that. There was a movie called Hell's a Poppin'. Now, this is a real kind of obscure cult film from 1941 that's supposed to be so far ahead of its time. And I don't even think it's available on home video, guys. But if you want to look this up, Hell's a Poppin', it's one word. It's difficult to spell. I'm not going to do it. Try to Google it. But um, it's got these rapid fire gags in there that really blew people's minds for the time. Right. Huh. And then you, th- you think about in the fifties and the sixties and even the seventies, like early television comedy pioneers, like Sid Caesar, Milton Berle, Jerry Lewis, Carol Burnett, Woody Allen. You could tell that they took something from these earlier predecessors. And then we've already talked about Mel Brooks. So you can see the kind of the blueprint for where some of this stuff came from. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So in what ways do you think Airplane was influential on cinema and pop culture or set trends? God, we could talk for hours about this, but let's nail it down to the essentials. So, I mean, we've already mentioned some of the things that came from Airplane or that were inspired by Airplane. But yeah, what would you say here? Like beyond Leslie Nielsen's entire career after this movie (laughs) and every male 
who watched it at that time and everything that we said beyond then, I feel like the, the influence was so widespread in comedy afterwards uh, that it's it's kind of hard to label where you would see it. I agree, Andrew. Like Leslie Nielsen and Lloyd Bridges' careers, for that matter, uh, this sort of defined them for the the latter half of their careers. I mean, Lloyd Bridges went on to work with uh, the Zaz guys a couple times as well. I know he did Hot Shots and Mafia mm-hmm. and all those. I mean, some to better success than others. But I I think the legacy of this film, and I know we've touched on it already, is the complete straight laced humor i think the taking it so deadpan and the delivery of just absurd lines and the things that you know dancing and the situations and all that i think that was something that is this film's legacy i i I just think no one had ever approached comedy quite as deadpan and serious as mm-hmm. the the Zucker brothers they, and Abrams did with with Airplane. But I mean, in terms of like setting that template, I think it's the ratio of gags per minute. I mean, yeah. they really throw a lot against the screen to, uh, to see what sticks. A lot of it does and some of it doesn't. Some of the jokes fall flat. But here's the thing. <laughs> Even if a joke bombs or a sight gag, you know, fizzles, you got something coming like two seconds later. How many times have you gone to a comedy and you might have a few big belly laughs, but for long stretches, it's just not that funny. And you may walk out saying, you know, that was pretty funny, but it just doesn't rank that high to you. This one, it's just so fast and furious that it's almost impossible not to come away with a hand, at least a handful of quotable lines or memorable bits and in most cases, it's in the dozens, not a handful, right? And yeah. it's a lot yeah. to remember. I mean, it's, yeah. and it brings you back. The repeat viewings become that much more rewarding because you're picking up on the jokes that you didn't get as a 10-year-old. I, I was just going to say that. It's it, it's a film that demands repeat viewing. Mm-hmm. It's there. There is so much loaded in this film, as we've been saying, is that it's not, it's the rapid fire uh, jokes that are happening just based in dialogue, but then it's background. It's what's written on an envelope that someone is handed. It's just like the guy on the airplane that comes up and starts checking the oil and cleaning the windows and stuff like, like that's in the foreground. There's still conversation happening. I mean, that I, I think that's the thing is it literally demands repeat viewing just for you to absorb it all and be able to catch all the jokes. This is one of those films to me that I always kind of call a conversational film that gets funnier, not only with watching it again, but with talking about it with like-minded people. So you watch it the first time and you might go, that was funny. And then you're sitting with your buddy who's seen it. You can't help but start to talk about Roger. Huh? Is it over? Huh? Like you start the whole time talking about it and then you talk and you laugh harder and it becomes funnier in your mind afterwards playing again talking about it than it even does the first time you watched on film and you find yourself in groups much like people who sit around quoting the simpsons or doing whatever this is that conversational comedy that gets better when you talk about it andrew that's right it's it really inspires sort of social viewing of this film when we were in college 
the the easiest thing to do when we had a group of guys or guys and gals and whatnot uh, together mm-hmm. was you could throw on airplane because it was it it was like a, a party movie because yep. it was just everyone could crack up say oh this is my favorite part there's not just one identifiable scene that you go okay wait this is the funny scene of this movie let's watch Right. Everybody has their favorites. Everyone's imitating and quoting. And, and no one cares if you're talking over it and making jokes. And it's funny because right. I don't remember college. <laughs> <laughs> Too many airplane watches with drinking games. Involved. Exactly. I think exactly. that's right. Right. We talk about pop culture references, but I think also ways in which this was influential. You mentioned some of the subsequent inspirations like, you know, the scary movie franchise, for example. While some of those movies aren't bad and and some of them have pretty good bits. The thing is, I think I agree with you to a good extent. A lot of those rely too much on pop culture references here. I think that the pop culture references aren't asked to do like really heavy lifting. Uh, Put another way, while some of the topical references would have been more relevant, let's say in 1980, you know, references to disco and things like that. Right. I think their inclusions don't date the movie too badly or befuddle younger viewers who don't get the jokes. Yeah, it's not a, wait, who is that? Oh, that was Paris Hilton. She was kind of a character back mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. Like mm-hmm. the That scene where you're talking about where the disco dance breaks out in that bar, <laughs> even if you're not recognizing that that's a Saturday Night Fever sort of reference and gag, it's just still funny. It's just right. still a funny dance. Everything about it. It's it, it means more to the people that go, oh, they're doing that. They're doing the John Travolta bit here. But mm-hmm. I, I, I could show that to my children and they'd still probably kind of find it funny. Right. It's because they don't tether their anchors so specifically just to topical references and movie riffs and things like that. So there's a broad range of comedy at work here. But yeah. in terms of in terms of films and other works inspired by Airplane, we've already mentioned some. And Mel Brooks, you got to give him some credit uh, even before and after. But you think what came after? You don't have Fairly Brothers movies, right? You don't have like there's something about Mary, Dumb and Dumber, me, myself and Irene. The Fairley brothers have, have credited uh, Zaz with, uh, you know, kind of firing them up. You think about, would there be the comedy stylings that you see in The Simpsons or the South Park or Family Guy? They might have created shows like those, but in terms of the actual kind of style of comedy, where it is a high ratio of gags a minute, I can't see a, a world with The Simpsons in it if you don't have Airplane first. I think, like you're saying, if you don't have this jumping off spot, this uh, springboard into comedy, you probably would not have ended up with the same type of humor. You might, like you said, you might have still end up with The Simpsons, but you might not have ended up with the same sight gags where they skip over to it. Remember that time I had rum raisin? And it skips over to that scene. Exactly. To me, I feel like that was born out of this type of movie and maybe not directly from Zaz, but I I would doubt that your humor would have been at that level by then if it wasn't for Airplane. Yeah, I totally agree, Andrew. And then you think about how the success of this film paved the way for other comedy classics by the Zaz teams, just to give listeners a roundup. So they scored their first hit with Kentucky Fried Movie. They didn't direct it, but it was written by Zaz, and this was 1977. Have you guys seen Kentucky Fried Movie? Oh, yes, yeah. Sir. Yes, we have. Okay. All right. Yep. 
Uh, after Airplane came Top Secret. That was 84. Now, this one was written and directed by Zaz. You've got Ruthless People directed by this team from 1986. I kind of forgot about Ruthless People. Mm. Uh, the first two Naked Gun movies uh, written by Zaz and directed by David Zucker. The Hot Shot movies from 91 and 93, written and directed by uh, Jim Abrams. And then one of the team even had a non-comedy hit. Can you can you guess the movie and the director? Ghost and Jerry Zucker. Very good. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have guessed that. That's that's a real trivia question there because you don't associate them no, necessarily that's... with a movie like Ghost, right? No, not, not at all. If I could back up a little bit, sure. I have to say... As great as Aeroplane is, uh, and it casts a long shadow on the rest of their career, they never made a comedy as good as Aeroplane. But that said, Top Secret is a really worthy follow-up. It's a really strange movie. It is like an Elvis movie, war movie. (laughs) Like, it's sort of genre-bending film. I highly recommend it. That one is a cult classic. I saw it in the theaters at age 15 when it came out, and I was totally lost. I appreciated the the style of comedy, the airplane style, but I just was missing so many of the references. But I will check it out again. So, fellas, which particular scene, line, or gag makes you oh, laugh geez. the hardest and why? So it's tough. It's, it's like asking to name your favorite child, but if you had to do it, which is the best? Wow. We have to narrow it down to the best. For me, yeah, the best is really tough. The one that I have to say that I have probably laughed the hardest trying to quote would be that jive talking. Like where you're just like trying to mimic that and talk about it. It's so ridiculous and, right. and silly that I can recall trying to do that so many times as a kid. Oh, and the best part about that scene, you have Mrs. Cleaver playing yes. the lady. It's just so priceless. Yeah, just um, hang loose, blood. She got to catch up, y'all. The rebound on the Mets at. <laughs> well, you know it word for word. I am put in my place. I don't. I can't quote things word for word without a little help here. But but then again, I haven't seen it as uh, multiple times as you guys have. So, Michael, how about you? What's your favorite? I, I still think the Leslie Nielsen, the Shirley gag is so is probably what is the most recognized sequence mm-hmm. of this. But one of my scenes, I remember like that we would tear up laughing was uh, the stewardess trying to make the sick girl feel well and playing the guitar and constantly knocking out the IV oh. or whatever that's stuck in her arm. Priceless. That sequence is so funny. Like, cause, and, and I oh, believe that's, that's the girl from love boat, the little girl, actually both of them are from love boat. Now that I think <laughs> about it, that sequence, though not as quotable as the other ones, that was the one I remember like, crying laughing mm. <laughs> trying to like as we'd be watching it but i gotta say though the dance number oh, is pretty funny. funny too yeah no. you know when i read roger ebert's review in his original review from 1980 the he cited that as the best in the movie the funniest and i i gotta i gotta tell you i agree not because he said so but it's just hilarious that flashback scene at the rough and tumbler bar when the disco dance suddenly breaks out the best part for me is when Ted says, I had to ask the guy next to I me knew. to pinch me to make sure I wasn't dreaming. And then you see that guy slowly move away and do yes. this incredulous double take. But not just there, the whole sequence, especially the silly dancing, 
you know, the ridiculous violation well, of the laws of physics. It's just side splitting. The best part is that any time Staying Alive came on during a wedding that Mike and I were at, we would recreate that scene to best our ability. We're in fact to the point where Mike would run across the dance floor, jump on me, and I would spin with his arms out. <laughs> Did you do the Russian dance too? That part was way too hard. Oh, that's funny. Well, is there video that exists from uh, these shenanigans? Or uh... we we certainly hope not. Oh, okay. no incriminating evidence. No incriminating evidence. All right. What elements from this movie have aged well, and what are showing some wrinkles? What's aged well for me is I think it's the performance of all of the main leads. I just think they're all spot on super funny. I've got to say like all of the everything that we've mentioned, 95% of the jokes still work. I think what maybe hasn't aged as well, though it's still kind of funny, is Depending on your age, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar might be a bit of a miss for certain people. And I do think Harry Krishna's might be a bit of a dated reference somewhat. Yeah, when you think about solicitors at the airport, <laughs> yeah. those days are gone, right? Those <laughs> so. are those are a bit dated, and I think some people yeah. could go like, what is that supposed to mean? Yeah. Still funny, but I think people would be missed on that. Or younger people would look and go, huh? So Roger? so let me get this straight, though, guys. You guys are, uh, you got a problem with Kareem, but no issues with Ethel Merman? Oh, but that part's so funny, though. You <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's funny. Great. It's <laughs> hilarious. But again, does anybody know who that person is anymore? No, I like, Who's that crazy lady singing? The one thing I wonder is whether or not... Like, if you sit down to watch this with your kids, let's say, mm-hmm. I wonder if you would cringe with some of the lack of political correctness. That yeah. exa- I mean, I'd argue that oftentimes it's a comedy, just get over it, like live with it. But sure. you might be a little more like, sorry about the gay jokes and the, you know, jive jokes and the this, where I will be rolling and they'll be like, your dad's such a racist pig. I think all the rules go out the window with comedy. I mean, yeah, there's cringy moments. We can agree. You already mentioned some of them, but uh, come on. Just wonder whether or not 10 years from now or something. I mean, maybe there'll be a renaissance on humor, but I just wonder whether or not you would feel uncomfortable watching it with someone else. Maybe not. Well, it begs the question, you know, uh, what kind of a shelf life does this movie have in the generations to come? We'll get to that in a second. But any other thoughts on uh, things that have aged well or not? I just think it's all aged well. I mean, Mm -hmm. even Ethel Merman, even Kareem, now that I think about it. No, I just I, I think this film is, dare I say it, timeless. Mm-hmm. No, I, I can't argue. I, I mean, with some caveats that we've already discussed, I mean, I think it needs to be grandfathered in and free from the PC police. That's that's my thought. Right. That's fair. Yep. So we're having a 40th birthday party for Airplane, only instead of us bringing presents, it's this movie that continues to give the gifts. So, gentlemen, what is this movie's greatest gift to viewers? I think it's a sense of humor. Like if you don't get it and you watch it, you might develop like we're saying. I I don't think my sense of humor developed the same without this movie. Um, Not to say I have the best sense of humor in the world. Um, (laughs) It might be a little. At least you play it straight. That's the important. I never laugh. But I think that's the gift that it can it can help expand your uh your sense of humor and the way you look at comedy it's not only one way to make someone laugh 
I kind of agree. I think the greatest gift that this film is, is just it's provided so many quotable lines. I mean, things that are just like that should almost like this film in a lot of ways should never have worked. I mean, I'm I, when they were doing it, I'm sure there was a lot of people going, what in the heck are you doing? Yeah, when but, you think of, for example, Peter Graves, you know, his agent gives him the script and tells him about it. And Peter Graves looks and he sees that he's supposed to be making these pedophilia jokes. And he's like, how is this funny? I don't want to do this. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But right. the, the trepidation on the part of the actors, let alone the, you know, the filmmakers, and then, and then worrying about the audience. Are they going to get it? Are they going to hate it? This is a big risk, I would imagine. It, it is a huge risk. They, they took a swing with this because uh, uh, there was really no blueprint for this, what they were attempting to do. And they who knew if people were going to buy that Leslie Nielsen could be funny? The, I mean, obviously, I think the gift that it provided for him, I mean, he's one of the treasures of my uh, like film watching experiences. Frank Drebin and him here as the, uh, I believe this man's a doctor and he's wearing the stethoscope. <laughs> like the... Uh, the He's the gift, I think, ultimately the most important one. But I just do agree with Andrew. It's the comedy mm. style and sure. just the endless quotes that this movie provided. Can't argue there. I have three greatest gifts, so bear with me here. But just riffing on what you both just said, I think one of them is that it remains funny even after so many repeat viewings in 40 years. Now, you can't say that about every comedy, even some of your favorites. Some of them get creaky. Some of them lose their luster. They just stop being as funny as when you, you know, the first few times you saw them. I popped this in the DVD player again a couple nights ago. It had been a few years and it had probably been a few years before that when I had seen it, you know, earlier, but it still holds up really, really well. And that's a treat because comedy can often date quickly. But good yep. comedy remains fresh and ripe for discovery by new audiences. And that's why I think this movie has a long shelf life, as we're going to talk about in a second. I think another of its greatest gifts is that it doesn't adhere to any one style of comedy. You both have been preaching this gospel for the course of the conversation. But instead of following a certain template, you have a mishmash approach that aims for a high volume of laughs. So you got plenty of sight gags, like the shit hitting the fan, literally. You got Otto, the automatic pilot, getting inflated and deflated. You got the jiggling jello adjacent to the jiggling breasts, right? You have slapstick bits, the flight attendant's guitar disconnecting the young girl's IV, as we talked about. The disco dancing that defies the laws of physics. You have satire of scenes from famous movies, the beach scene that spoofs from here to eternity, the flashback sequence that conjures up Casablanca, Saturday Night Fever, and then the motivational speech that sends up Newt Rockne All-American. You have clever verbal wordplay and punny humor. Think of the Roger Clarence Victor over yes. bit and the I am serious and don't call me Shirley line, of course, you know, the most quotable line there. You have running gags that get repeated, like, I picked the wrong week to quit smoking, etc. Yeah. And I just want to tell you, good luck, we're all counting on you, as I introduced you earlier. <laughs> you have cameos by actors and singers and athletes who aren't afraid to partake in self-parody or play against type. We already mentioned Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You totally wouldn't expect somebody like that to appear in the, you know, in the cockpit, right? You have Ethel Merman just popping up out of nowhere. You have Mrs. Cleaver, Barbara Billingsley uh, talking jive. You have the character actors, like we said, Peter Graves, Robert Stack, Lloyd Bridges, previously played these types of personalities before in films. It's just such a great kind of mixture at work here. And lastly, another greatest gift, rehashing what we've already said in summary, it's infinitely rewarding to fans of pop culture. There are so many nods and references 
to, in this case, a lot of older films and TV shows and even a commercial. Like there was a coffee commercial nod, if you recall, (laughs) the the, the husband and wife where the wife is having that internal monologue. What does she say? Do you recall? Jim never throws up at home. (laughs) I mean, if you were if you weren't alive watching TV in the 70s, you're not going to get it. But again, it rewards those who paid attention or have been alive long enough. Let's put it that way. So it's a fun exercise to try to identify as many of these things as you can. And even if you weren't old enough to get a lot of it, like you both said, you're going to just pick it up in the ether. You're just going to kind of riff with it and go with it. And you'll get a lot of the other jokes. Andrew, Michael, do you think Airplane is still going to be widely watched and considered relevant in another 40 years? So we may not be around. I don't know technically how old you are, but unless they preserve our brains, perhaps. So what do you think? Mm -hmm. Is this movie still going to be celebrated in in another four decades? I mean, I'd like to start by saying I really hope so. Uh, I think it would be such a loss for it not to be considered a comedy great still. I think so. 40 years is a long time. But, you know, assuming that's preserved, national registry, blah, 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 all that good stuff, which it is, it might fade out for a little while. But I think it will come back, even if it is gone for a little while. People can't deny the fact that it's just humor. You were talking about the movie, not your preserved brain, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. My brain will also be quite popular in 40 years. The gift that keeps on giving. Completely. I feel like fans of comedy and film fans will always give this the place it deserves, whether we're talking 25 or 40 or 50 years down the road. Whether new audiences discover it is harder to determine. I I don't know if this is the type of film that will be put on every Christmas or aired on ABC every holiday season. But I feel like it will still be remembered when whatever we, however people are podcasting directly from from their mind links in 40 years, there'll still be people waxing poetic about how funny this is. It'll still make top 100 lists in the year 2080, I would think. But whether it's entertaining a new generation of film fans, I don't know. Yeah, here's my prediction. I think it's going to be uh, forgotten in the wake of the coronavirus exclamation point (laughs) movie that's going to come out and totally reinvent comedy. Now, I agree with both of you, but, you know, it's an interesting question because, again, if new generations don't cop to it, if they don't start taking it to heart and watching it and listening to the overtures from the older folks, hey, you got to watch this. It's a comedy classic. uh, It's not going to have much of a future. So we got to get younger generations aboard the airplane train. That's a non sequitur, but I think like so many other movies, TV shows and comedies from other formats, there's a risk that the humor could become dated and viewer generations from now, they may not get a lot of the yucks. But even if the ratio of jokes hitting their target is, let's say, 25 percent, hey, that's still pretty good. I mean, you think of an old, I don't know, Marx Brothers movie or something. A lot of people don't get some of those jokes, but it's kind of the overall effect that still works. And and for me, Airplane was the first movie of its kind in many ways, and firsts tend to get cherished and passed on. So I have hope that uh, this movie is going to be an evergreen classic for many, many decades to come. I hope to. So what are you both working on that listeners should check out? Anything coming up with classic film jerks or otherwise? Well, the classic film jerks, uh, Andrew and I show, uh, we keep this thing a trucking. We put out a, a new episode monthly. Our next episode, that's going to be the episode for March this month. We are doing One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, one of my favorites. 
Any teases as to uh, stuff coming up later? I know you probably don't like to spill the beans on future More installments. More movies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this year, I think we've let our guard down. So our mission has always been to try to go back and watch classics that we've never seen before or ultimately be able to, you know, say that we've watched the entire AFI's top 100. Well, that's, I was going to ask you, have you, have you exhausted that list? We've made a pretty good dent, but we've always kind of avoided films that we went, well, we've seen that. Like, I think it's glaring that we haven't done The Godfather yet, even though it's Mm. currently ranked at like number two, I think, uh, on the AFI now we're saying, okay, let, you know, let's do movies that we've seen before. So I think you're going to start seeing more stuff like that. And we've even talked about saying, could 2020 be the year that we actually do Star Wars? So that could happen this year. But I mean, we're all, we always take suggestions from listeners. Um, we like to go off the beaten path sometimes with other classics that Andrew and I may not be aware of. But we're going to kind of forge on and do, uh, this year we've already done The Wizard of Oz, The Sound of Music. We're doing kind of like the big ones. So Mm -hmm. I think there'll probably be a couple other very big landmark films, not unlike, let's say, a Star Wars or a Godfather that are going to show up. Awesome. We'll definitely be tuning in. I'm curious, do you have a criteria? Like for me, it has to be a movie at least 20 years old worthy of like an anniversary celebration. And it's got to be a milestone anniversary. So like it ends on the 10s or the 5s. So for you guys, what's the newest movie you would consider including in your podcast? Well, the AFI's newest films, I feel like might be the 90s. I think the most recent, actually, uh, according to the AFI 10th anniversary 2007 list, I believe the newest movie listed there was Fellowship of the Ring. I think the newest film that we've done has been set in the eight, like was an 80s film. And that it was like anything before 1980 was was fair game. And now Mm -hmm. we're stretching into the 80s. It'll be interesting to see if we get into the 90s, maybe when we're in our 90s. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's something to think about. I think it'd be fun to start exploring some movies from the 90s, uh, maybe a little closer. But uh, any event, we'll continue to keep listening and enjoying the classic Film Jerks podcast. You guys uh, have inspired me to create my own podcast, so I want to tip my hat to you both. It's always a treat to appear on your show from time to time as well. So thank you for that opportunity. I mean, you're one of our favorite guests to have on the show, so you'll definitely be getting a call from us. Awesome. I'll be waiting for that call and for Andrew's preserved brain to be on display (laughs) at the Smithsonian Museum. (laughs) All right, gentlemen, anything further you want to add before we conclude? Uh, No, thank you very much for having us on. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad I got a chance to talk about this movie again. I forget. It's been a long time. I need to watch it again now and sit around drunk talking to friends about it. There you go. Just be careful of drinking games. The older you get, it's, uh, you know, hangovers <laughs> get harder and harder oh, yeah. to wake up from. That's true. My parting words are going to be nervous first time. No, I've been nervous lots of times. <laughs> uh, the gift that keeps on giving so many quotable lines. How do you end a uh, discussion on airplane without at least one of the quotes, right? Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for taking the time and we'll be talking to you soon, gentlemen. Very nice. A tip of the pilot's hat to Michael and Andrew for being this month's guests on Cineversary. It's time now for another edition of Standing Ovations. This is where I give a shout-out to a movie, book, website, TV program, podcast, or other work that I think would be of interest to classic film lovers. So in March, Fathom Events is sending 25th birthday wishes to Mel Gibson's 1995 Best Picture Oscar winner, 
Braveheart by bringing the film back to select theaters for a limited run on March 22nd and 23rd. Now, to check and see if Braveheart will be playing in your area, go visit fathomevents.com. Braveheart, it was in the running for a Cineversary episode this year, but with so many beloved and important motion pictures to choose from that are celebrating milestone anniversaries in 2020, it didn't quite make the cut. So this is your chance to celebrate the silver anniversary of a modern classic, an historical epic that will take you back to the summer of 1995 and 13th century Scotland for that matter. And by the way, Fathom Events will also be bringing Airplane, the movie we just talked about, back to the big screen on May 17th and 20th in select theaters, so mark your calendars for that. Well, we've reached the end of another episode of Cineversary. I'd love to hear what you think of our show. You want to offer some suggestions or comments? Well, you can reach me, Eric Martin, at cineversegroup at gmail.com. I further encourage you to check out cineversegroup.com. Now, that's the portal for my Cineverse film discussion group I launched 14 years ago and which continues to meet weekly in the south suburban Chicago area. Cineverse is a democratic film society that watches and then discusses a predetermined movie that our members pick on a rotating basis. At cineversegroup.com, and that's spelled C-I-N-E-V-E-R-S-E, you can hear podcast recordings of our group discussions and read more about the films we study. There you can also sign up for the Cineverse newsletter, which will deliver group schedules, blog postings, and event notices to your email inbox. Also, instead of cluttering up our podcast with ads, we've decided to ask you for your direct support. And we could use your help to offset the costs to produce Cineversary, which include expenses like podcast hosting provider fees. If you'd like to make a monetary contribution to the Cineversary podcast in any amount, large or small, we've made it safe and simple by partnering with PayPal to collect the funds. You simply visit tinyurl.com slash donatecineversary and click on the Donate button. Any major credit card is accepted and the entire transaction is handled securely and confidentially by PayPal. Or if you're already familiar with PayPal, you can simply send us a payment in any amount you want to cineversegroup at gmail.com. And we really appreciate your generosity. All right, you've hung around this long, which means you're excited to learn what's on the schedule for April. That's when we'll be traveling back to late 1930s Austria to catch up with the Von Trapp family singers as we celebrate the 55th anniversary of one of the most cherished Hollywood musicals of all time, The Sound of Music, which still sounds pretty sweet all these years later. This has been your humble host, Eric Martin, reminding you again to butter up that popcorn, live a big screen surround sound life, and cherish those classic movies because they're not getting older, folks. They're getting better. Thanks again for giving us a listen. (laughs) 